Coming up on today's show... After a few years of just putting yourself out there, hey, look at me, I wrote another song, you know, there needs to be something more. You need to have a, a purpose with your music. Welcome to another new episode of Now Hear This Entertainment, featuring interviews with guests who are having success in entertainment, primarily music. I am Bruce Wozniak, talking to guests who are singers, songwriters, musicians, recording artists, and more from the worldwide music community. Do please stay connected. You can write to podcast at nhte.net, or instead of email, you are welcome to DM me through the at Now Hear This Entertainment Instagram account. Anything and everything to do with this podcast or the entertainment industry itself, I look forward to hearing from you. I say that all the time because I mean it. I honestly do. Please, please give me your feedback on this show. Certainly through email, by all means, social media DMs. But in all honesty, I actually love to talk with people by phone. And I'm going to tell you specifically how you can do that coming up. Joining me today on location from The Nam Show in Anaheim, California, my guest is a singer, songwriter, and multi-instrumentalist who recently gave a TEDx talk. She has over 30,000 monthly Spotify followers, and one of her songs has been streamed over 4 million times. In addition, she has over a million views on her YouTube videos. She is a mental health advocate in the LGBTQ community. You've been hearing a song of hers called Don't It Feel Good. Welcome to Now Hear This Entertainment, Lucy LaForge. Good morning. Good morning. Great to have you here. Thank Very you. Very happy to be here. Yeah, thanks for making time to do this. I appreciate you making time to be here, and I've got a long list of questions for you. All right. Before we start diving into all those, <laughs> tell the audience about the song of yours that was just playing called Don't It Feel Good, especially since I was talking and the audience probably couldn't make out all the lyrics as a result. So Don't It Feel Good is exactly what it sounds like. It is a song about just feeling good and just allowing yourself some joy. I released it last summer after, you know, a couple years of us all really going through it. I just, I felt that was the right time to say, hey, you know, there's a lot of good stuff and we're all going through different things right now. But let's get back out there. Let's, you know, allow some room for sunshine, for dancing, for just giving ourselves a little a little room to, to have a little bit more fun. That really kind of shines a light on the fact that I guess there is such a thing in the world of songwriting as when it might be a bad time to release a song about something in particular, thinking of war, thinking mm -hmm. of economy, mm -hmm. thinking of the worldwide pandemic, things like that. So I guess you can write a song like that in a bad time, but say, I have to hold it. Yep. Until time is right. <laughs> Absolutely. There's a lot of timing when it comes to releasing music. And a lot of it is, of course, how the artist is feeling at the time. It's hard to write, you know, like a breakup song when you're going through it. And then it comes out a year later when you're in another happy relationship again. Mm. And, you know, so sometimes these things you just have to do your best at acting, you know, in the moment. But yeah, that's interesting because I hear a lot of guests on this show who will say the song wasn't ready so they're thinking mm -hmm. of it more from a structural standpoint, something that they wanted to change melodically or maybe change up some lyrics. But I love this conversation oh, because it's more about the message in the song and then where you're at in your journey, whether, mm -hmm. like you said, whether it's a relationship, whether it's health, whatever it is. Absolutely. Wow. Wow. Mm -hmm. So you live in Los Angeles, but you're not originally from there, I believe. So when and why did you make the move? to Los Angeles. Where are you from? Where did you move from to Los Angeles? And for that matter, how did you get started with music and ultimately writing your own songs as we've been discussing? Mm -hmm. So I grew up in a very small area. The closest city is Temecula, California. Mm. So it's still in the Southern California realm, but I never envisioned myself moving to Los Angeles because as a Californian, LA just never felt like California to me. It's, wow. It was so busy and so bustling wow. and, you know, and California for me was always a very peaceful, you know, nature, fields everywhere. 
So I, I made the move for music, of course, but I grew up on a dirt road, you know, with, with chickens and out in the country, and I just, I loved it. And music started happening um, because my dad plays guitar, mm. and so he'll, he'll pick up a guitar and just start singing. Mm. And that was my, my introduction to music. But when you said, I never envisioned myself moving to Los Angeles, was that even after you started finding your way into music a little bit? Or was it, no, it's even before I ever started music? Much before, yeah. <laughs> because I think when, you, when you're growing up, you think, okay, you know, am I going to go to college? Where do I want to live? When, it, when I get to choose, where do I want to live? And for me, my, my thought was maybe San Francisco or maybe somewhere else in the world. And I loved the idea of traveling, and I definitely traveled a lot. But L.A. was so close to home that I didn't think that's where I would end up. So when did you make the move to Los Angeles? How long have you been there now? I've been there almost eight years. So it's Mm. been a full, for me, that feels like 20 years. (laughs) (laughs) um, Yeah, it was just, it was a choice. I said, I really enjoy playing music, and it's, it's either here or Nashville. Yeah, it's kind of the decision I had to make. So, has Los Angeles been everything that you wanted it to be when you made the decision to move from Temecula area up to Los Angeles? Yes, yes, and no. I think it really is the city of dreamers, and so you meet so many wonderful people who were, you know, the big fish in the small pond in their hometown. Then they moved to Los Angeles, and now everybody's, you know, kind of kind of fighting for for the the light and the attention and that's the part I struggle with Uh, so it's wonderful in the sense that everybody is there you know trying to fulfill their dream working really hard doing everything they can and then it's you know it's got a bit of a sadness and loneliness to it and that could just be city life Uh, I've definitely heard of other folks you know Chicago New York where they just feel very small but Overall, I would say there's so many opportunities, especially for songwriters in Los Angeles, that it's worth the traffic and a little bit of loneliness sometimes. So I just want to continue on this a little bit, being that back in the intro, I had said that you're a mental health advocate because I would think that it could be very defeating to come to that realization when you move from a small town to a place like L.A., New York, Nashville, and all of a sudden you're supposed to be riding this high of, yay, I'm going to chase my dreams, and all of a sudden you start to find out that everybody else here, not everybody else, but there's a whole community of us that have all made this same move, and it's like I spent a lot of years working in sports, and so I was Mm -hmm. always familiar with athletes who would be the best on their team in the Mm -hmm. lower tiers, and all of a sudden they get to the pros, and it's like, well, guess what? You're probably not even going to start. You're going to get sent down to the minors, things like that. And that's a big Mm -hmm. blow to the ego. And that's very contradictory timing because it's at a time when, okay, here you go. You're on the big stage now. You're, You're on the big stage, meaning like you're in Los Angeles. So now is not the time to sit around feeling sorry for yourself. You need to get out there and work and get your name known, make connections. So can you just talk about all that as, as someone who is very sensitive to mental health? Because I can see how someone could very easily talk themselves out of, I made the wrong decision, I'm moving back home. Absolutely. Moving to the city from not a city is a huge adjustment in itself, just because there's so many more people, there's so much more going on, that you're kind of just overstimulated all the time, you know? And then there's the aspect of, oh, I, I can compare myself to literally everyone in my field who is also here because you're not just playing shows in your hometown where everybody cheers and says you're the best you're playing on a lineup with the best in your genre of music and you you have to bring it so you're working really hard and after a few years of hustling 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 if you haven't gotten to a level where you feel okay you know I'm here or even if you have you realize there's no breaks. You got to keep going. Mm-hmm. And that can be really hard on your mental health. One, because you're comparing yourself constantly, which is something you really, you just got to put your blinders on and focus on you and, you know, realize that you're the only one doing the thing you're doing. So there's no need to compare yourself. Just enjoy it and do your best. Um, but just also that, that aspect of like, oh, I can't, I can't take days off. I need to, I need to keep up. Yeah, I really was going to ask you, what is your advice in terms of, you know, kind of finding that line between 
making sure that you get out there because if you just sit at home, you're going to feel sorry for yourself. You're going to be lonely. You're going to realize I don't really know anybody, but also maybe spending too much time out there pressing mm. the flesh and saying, okay, it's all right for me to kind of relax a little bit and decompress and sit at home and not sit at home and try to do everything from the computer because you got to be out there meeting people and being seen and being heard. But what would your advice be in terms of striking that balance? Absolutely. So finding a balance, I will say, I don't believe that is completely possible to have a perfect like work-life balance, mm -hmm. but I do believe that you can work towards it every day. You can really check in with yourself. And this is something that takes time, especially if you just graduated high school and you're moving to a city to chase mm. your dreams. You're learning about how to live on your own, how to mm. know when you need a little bit of you know, self-care time, when you got to just stay home and read a book as opposed to being out at shows every night networking. And it's really about knowing your limits. You know, do I really want to go to this networking event because I'm excited and I know I'm going to bring a positive attitude and meet a lot of people? Or am I exhausted because I've been going to events all week? I've got a show tomorrow. And you really got to know where you're at. Because if you still go to that networking event and you're burnt out and you're tired, those connections probably aren't going to be the best ones you make because you're not really bringing your full self. So it's really beneficial to allow yourself breaks Your work is going to be way better if you allow yourself some, some time to reflect, some time to just daydream. It's so important, especially to your create, creativity, to have that time. Yeah, and if you're in Los Angeles specifically, because this isn't really applicable to Nashville or New York, but if you're in Los Angeles, you're much closer to a beach that you can go and just sit oh, on yeah. the sand and enjoy nature and leave all that stuff behind. Absolutely. Something interesting in there, though, made me think of, and folks, I hope you heard my interview two weeks ago with Sean Giovanni, who is in Nashville, and talked about when he first got there that one of the mistakes he had to learn from that he committed was overwhelming somebody. He met someone, he felt that the meeting was going good and that they were clicking, and he went home and he just bombarded them with this email that he said, looking back and I'm realizing that that email was way too long and I was trying to cover far too much and take away everything from that meeting. And as you were saying what you were saying, Lucy, I was picturing the person that says, I have to be at every possible event I can go to to network because this is L.A. And if I'm out until two in the morning, like, slow down, slow down, slow down. Mm -hmm. Maybe not. Maybe that's actually too much. And maybe you are going to overwhelm someone who is like, hey, man, I'm just trying to enjoy this party. Like, it's great to meet you. Yeah. But <laughs> back off it's Absolutely. 2 a.m. I'm, I'm not in full networking mode at 2 a.m. <laughs> Definitely and you know when you're in that mindset of I gotta do this I gotta do that you're not really enjoying it because especially as an artist like it's not you have to go write a song you get to go write a song you get to go to shows you get to network with people who all chase their dreams in one way or another and that's a beautiful thing and so if you're coming into it with like I have to do this oh my gosh like I'm never going to be where I want if I don't do this and you're putting all that pressure on yourself you know what's the point so when you just said in there you don't have to write a song you get to write a song what was the timing for you were you already writing songs when you moved to LA or you didn't start writing until you got there I started just before So about a year before I moved to Los Angeles, I was studying to be a psychologist. And I thought, I thought, hey, this is nice. <laughs> I thought, you know, I've been in the research labs. I've been, I loved academia. I was, I was very into school. And I, I overdid it. I was often stressed out and run mm. down. And that's when I found music. It was my little break in the day after, you know, 12-hour day on college campus I would go play the piano and just ah. you know I would feel so free and I thought there's people who just do this part I wonder how that works <laughs> this is some nice therapy this here. is great yeah <laughs> and I had even found out about music therapy which sounded really cool and I researched it a bit more and I said you know what I'm just I'm gonna move to LA for a year and I'm just gonna play music because a lot of students were taking a gap year you know, giving it some time to figure out what they really want. And I knew I love psychology, but I knew that I needed to feel those feelings that I felt when I played piano mm. because that felt like living. So you're talking about piano, but you play guitar and ukulele and even the baritone ukulele. You were featured by Fender for the Billie Eilish ukulele. How did you get that opportunity? That was great. Yeah, they reached out. It was in, it was in the middle of 2020. 
So I was just happy to get an email because everybody yeah. had gone pretty quiet that year. And some another friend, this incredible guitarist, Vava, had referred me. They were looking for a ukulele player, and they looked me up and saw my videos and saw what I was up to and, you know, what I'm about and thought it'd be a great fit. So I like to do this occasionally with a guest since you play piano, guitar, or ukulele, unless I'm missing another one. So do you consider yourself a piano player first, a guitar player second, ukulele third? What, what order would you put those three instruments in in terms of what's kind of your number one? It's hard. Yeah, that's a hard one. Um, lately, it's been ukulele because that's been bringing me just a lot of positive energy. And I had a bit of writer's block the last few months. And the ukulele has a really wonderful way of breaking that because it's it's simplified and it's like relentlessly happy you know sounding and it just kind of pulls you out of of whatever you're in i only think of happy sounds it's it's like you're not able to play minor chords you can't they just sound so bittersweet because they're so pretty sounding (laughs) so melancholy yeah uh you actually perform as lucy and la mer how did you come up with that name so la mer is french for the sea and my name is lucy laforge so i have a french name And when I started, for one, I was very anxious about, you know, creating a stage name and being a performer. Mm -hmm. I'm a fairly quiet person, uh, so getting on a stage was a really big deal. Mm. And I needed a name, uh, and I wanted it to be a band name. And Lucien Lemaire appealed to me because it felt like, hey, this would be a cool indie band, you know. I can put other people on stage with me. That seems safer (laughs) than just Lucy (laughs) LaForge, all the attention. I was very intimidated by that. And I just like the name. It sounded sounded fun. Do you speak French? I speak a little bit of French. I do. I have family over there. I do not speak it well, but I pretend I do when I'm there. (laughs) They get a kick out of it. Well, I was asking that mainly from the standpoint of you say, you know, my last name is French. And so then I picked this name, Lucy and Lemaire, because that's French, too. And so it kind of seemed like a logical progression to go towards, well, <laughs> she must speak French then if she's going down that road mm-hmm. with it. <laughs> you have performed at L.A. Fashion Week, World Pride New York City, the Rose Bowls Rose Festival, and more. even toured in Europe more than once. That's the one I want to focus on. Tell the audience more about the Europe gigs and how those came about. Europe's so great. If you've been gigging, for any musicians listening, if you've been gigging in, a, in America for a while, uh, go to Europe. If you can, please do, because it's just the best place to tour, I will say. I think, uh, you know, they'll, they just offer a lot more support to their musicians. Um, you know, whether that be financially for playing a show, they'll offer, you know, we're going to cook you dinner. We've had venues cook us dinner and then put us up for the night. Wow. Like, the kindness there is, it's wonderful. And not to say they don't do that here all the time, um, but it's just like a whole, it was a really, a really fun way to see a different part of the world and meet some different fans. Because we do have uh, a French club over in France mm. that follows us. And it was really cool to just go to Paris and meet everyone. But was there one particular something that prompted you going there? Or was it, I just knew that I wanted to go perform in Europe and I just made it happen we started gaining some traction in france just with you know how you can look on spotify and see where your listeners are and we had quite a few french fans and it seemed like the right time we were releasing our second ep i feel better now and uh, my drummer sheldon reed wonderful drummer was was up for it I said, hey, what if, what if we just went to Europe for six weeks and played a ton of shows? And as an indie artist, that can be very daunting. Not having a tour manager, everything is on me. I'm trying to email in multiple languages. Mm. It was so much fun. It was, it was a little chaotic, but every musician, if you have the chance, should, should do it. I see a lot of artists, indie artists, will say, I'm thinking of going to Europe. I'm thinking of coming to... Alabama, I'm thinking, to, and they'll put a destination. Where should I play? Mm-hmm. Did you do that, or did you take a totally different approach to figuring out where you should go perform over there? I just wanted to go, and I asked my drummer where, what countries he would like to visit. It was genuinely tailored to 
the places we wanted to go plus the places we knew that we would have fans in the audience. So it was a combination of both those things because you can't just go anywhere. Um, but I'm you've asking have from some the folks. standpoint of specific venues. Mm-hmm. So you didn't ask your fans what would be some good venues to play in Paris or in Nice or... I did for France. Yes, mm-hmm. I asked for specifics in France. In the other countries, I just asked fellow musicians who have toured. Uh, yeah, and because when you ask a musician, they're going to tell you, oh, yeah, this is the rate you'll probably get, or this is the booker, they're great, or this is the booker, they take months to email back, so email them early. There you I go. think musicians are such a great resource in, in the community to yeah. help each other out. Which is interesting because, you know, on my website, I have an ad that people can click on to go to look at the Indie Bible, because the Indie Bible is a great resource to look up. But that's, and I'm taking nothing away from that, but that's just kind of something you're going to read, and it's going to have just the basic information. This Mm -hmm. is the name of the venue, this is how many people it holds, this is what kind of music they book, and this is the the contact. But they're not going to tell you things like, these people are amazing, they're going to cook dinner for you probably, Mm -hmm. or hey, just... Just so you know, um, this place, like, everybody everybody in there is going to be smoking. You know, right. If, if oh, that yeah. that bothers you. Or, hey, this place over here, uh, you know, and they're going to give you kind of these things that they can only know from having been there themselves. So that mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a great resource that you can't click on an ad on a website. You know, I need to ask other musicians yes. about this. You just have Absolutely. To, you just have to network. Yeah. It's too bad they don't have a little comment section on Indie Bible where you can click and, you know, read reviews or something. Yeah. And I mean, I think someone out there is probably saying, well, you know, there's Facebook groups for that, Bruce. But it's like, well, but still, I mean, there's so Mm. many Facebook groups, it's going to take you forever to find the right one. So it really does come back to who do I know in my network, you know, that has gone and played there. Yeah. Um, So so hats off to you for having pulled that off. Because as you said, I mean, especially six weeks, that's no small feat. No, it wasn't. <laughs> Around week four, we looked at each other and we're like, this is a long time. <laughs> uh, that's awesome, though. W- yeah. w- will you go back? Absolutely. When was this that you went? This was the last full tour, uh, 2018. And then oh, I did you're, you're a due. little radio tour the next year, 2019. You're you're I'm overdue. very ready. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. We've kind of talked around and a little bit about the pandemic a little bit. But you know, how did that change the way that you have done music? Like a lot of artists during 2020, 2021, I started using the internet more. Uh, I've always been on social media. I've always enjoyed it. I've always loved speaking directly to folks who aren't in L.A. So for me, it came very easily. And it was actually a great tool because I could continue to play music. I could live stream. I could talk to people. I didn't feel isolated because I have all these wonderful fans on my socials that I can talk to all day long. So it was really great for me in that sense. Uh, lockdown was hard because of all the venues, all these great, great venues in Los Angeles shut down permanently. And that was hard to see. And then coming back out of that, of course, what seems to have happened is that the indie venues, a lot of them had to close, unfortunately, because they're small business. And a lot of the larger venues have remained open. But for those venues, you know, they only go through specific booking agents or labels And so there's a bit of a gap between, you know, the bar scene, you know, open mic spots, cafes, wine bars, those types of things. And then, you know, small clubs for indie artists, like two, three hundred, you know, capacity. And it's it's a bummer. So I will say that (laughs) is is that you have a Patreon. Is that is that when you launched your Patreon? Was that born out of the pandemic? Mm -hmm. Yep. So I started doing monthly acoustic shows live streaming from home i'd get dressed up i'd make a little set in my room and they're still going it's more casual now it's more like a i play a few songs and then we talk because we've all gotten to know each other so well on my patreon during these monthly meetups which is really nice it's built a really cool community i love that you're still doing it because what i feel happened was during the pandemic every musician rushed online and said i need to go live on facebook i need to go live on instagram i need to go live on anywhere that i can go live yeah. and then once the world opened back up they all said i don't need to do that anymore i'm going to go try mm-hmm. and play out at regular venues now so i love that you haven't abandoned it oh no i don't think i ever would i think it's really important for musicians to accept the fact that yes you can play live shows and there's nothing that will replace that feeling when you get on stage and start singing. But your audience is so much wider than that one venue in that one city. And you 
you if you have a message and if you have purpose with your music, you want it to reach as many people as possible. I love that you just said that because, you know, there's also something to be said for, well, if it's a Tuesday night and it's the difference between sitting home and not being booked somewhere versus 11 people who are going to watch you on Patreon, especially the person who, as you said, is not in L.A. Mm -hmm. So that person in Denver or that person in Sweden is going to be thrilled that on Tuesday night they can still watch Lucy perform online. And it's not a case of, well, I'm going to make a lot more money if I go play at a club somewhere. Okay, probably. But again, it's those relationships with the fans and it's you're not going to be booked seven nights a week. So why not pick a night when Mm -hmm. you go on Patreon or you go on Instagram or you go on Twitch or someplace? Yeah. Even if you're just rehearsing, you know, I always live stream my rehearsals because it's music. They don't care if you mess up or if you're changing the chords in the middle of the song and talking to your band. They love it. Exclusive. Absolutely. I mean, how often do you get to see a band doing a rehearsal you don't yeah it's and it's fun you know it's content you're already doing it just turn your phone on yeah wow wow i'm joined today on location at the nam show in anaheim california by singer songwriter and multi-instrumentalist lucy laforge of lucy in la mer visit her official website at listen i will have a link to it on the show page for this episode on my podcast website nhte.net On her website, look for the music section where you can link over to stream Lucy's original music wherever you find music. Do also check out the merch section of Lucy's website. And of course, look for the social media icons on listentolucy.com to follow her on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, as well as to subscribe to her YouTube channel and watch all the videos she has on there. She is also on TikTok as Lucy and Lemare. And, of course, you just heard us talking about the Patreon, so make sure that you look that up and support her through that means. With the changeover, the merger, the buyout, whatever it's called, finally being complete and Sprint now just being T-Mobile, I feel like I'm not seeing calls coming in on my cell phone as scam likely (laughs) lately. But now the spammers are calling from a number that shows as verified, yet you still just know that it's no one that you want to talk to, so you just don't even answer anymore, and then you get the ridiculous voicemail messages that they leave. That's why I like getting calls on the OWL app. I can see the picture of the person who's calling me, and I can look real quick at their bio before I answer. No one is trying to sell anything, and by that I mean that this is not a sponsor. They're not paying me to talk about them, and I mean that the people who have been calling me on there are not trying to pitch me stuff. It's honestly... Just a really great tool for making new connections. The founder of the app calls OWL LinkedIn on steroids, and I really feel like that's what it is. You can call me on there and make new connections with lots of other folks, and all without having to give out your cell phone number. By the way, it's like the bird, except with two W's and two L's. The app is free to download. I have instructions, meaning links to get it from the App Store or Google Play, And I have the invitation code, which is a required field when you're setting it up on your phone, in an article on my podcast website, nhte.net. Tap or click the home button on nhte.net and then dig into the article that I'm referring to, whose headline is, Help Now a Phone um, App Call Away. Lucy, you have over 30,000 monthly listeners on Spotify, and one song, it's called Not a Phase, has over 4 million streams. Have you done anything specific to be able to build those two numbers up to where they are? Sure. I'm, I think with Spotify, and it's really, it feels like a secret when you're an indie artist. It's like, how do I get these streams? Yeah. There's all these companies emailing you saying, we can get you more streams, give us all your money, yeah. you know? yeah. And sadly, sadly, you know, and it happens. People pay lots of money and they'll get slightly more streams and then they disappear the next month. Mm. I've heard a lot of those stories. But for me, what I what I see is the promotion. You can't just release a song and and hope it gets picked up and somebody will listen to it. I've heard stories where that does happen, but those are really one in a million. So far between. Yeah, unfortunately. And the best thing you can do for your song is give it a shot, you know, give it a shot to be heard everywhere. Because if you think of when you're on your phone throughout the day, you're not on Spotify or Apple Music. You're not on one platform all day long. You're jumping around. We all have shorter attention spans now, thanks to social media. So we're on Instagram and then we're on Facebook and then we're over here. And the best thing you can do for that song you're about to release is 
promote it on each platform. Give it as much attention as you can, and don't just do it once. Don't just say, hey, my song came out today. Please listen to it, please. No, you should be on there a month before talking about a cool song you just wrote and some of the lyrics and how excited you are for it to come out, and then you should be talking about the music video you're filming. And that's been the biggest thing for me to help it really get heard. Would you agree, though, that there is such a thing as overdoing it and over-promoting? Because I saw an artist recently who released a new song, and I thought it was interesting that, and I'm trying to be really, really, really generic, that this artist would post videos on Instagram talking about their new song, kind of breaking it down a little bit. But this went on, and it went on, and it went on. And I don't mean the length of one video. Mm. I mean these posts for days and days and days and days and days where I thought, I know that you have to do Mm. all the promotion, but to me, I'm starting to get a little overwhelmed by, these are too many. Show me some other content. I know you have a new song out there. It's kind of like when people have to, in their defense, when they have to, when artists have to go into full-on promotion mode because they're doing a crowdfunding campaign. So I love what you're saying. Mm -hmm. You know, don't just get all excited on release day and then hope that it does well. But would you agree with me that there is such a thing as over-promoting a new song? Totally. It's just like someone who posts a picture of their cat every day. Eventually, you're <laughs> like, what else do you do? Do you go outside? You know, I love this cat. It's great, great photo. But you see it so many times, and then you're like, I need new. We're humans. We're always looking for something new. We, we love familiar things, and we love new things. So the fami- familiarity is that you're posting often. You're posting every day, so people feel like they know you and that, you know, turns into them liking you more because they feel like they know you yeah but i agree you can't say listen to my song every day you can't be promoting it to the extent that there's nothing else going on because your audience isn't just there for that one song that month they also want to know oh are you playing some shows what do you have for lunch today what are you up to you know it's good to be well-rounded show and so all of a sudden it's not about lucy's latest single it's just wow how cool lucy's at the nam show And by extension, they're going to go looking for your music. They're going to find that new song. Totally. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I like that. I like that. So what about music and activism? Talk about why that's important to you. Some of my favorite songwriters when I was a kid, uh, of course, my dad, but he would also play, you know, Bob Dylan, Joni Mitchell, all these wonderful songwriters who were also activists, you know, in their own way. And now in this day and age, I think... If you have a platform, it's so important to to show up and be visible uh, for causes that you really believe in. I think that's really important. And for me, uh, I was I was in the closet for quite some time, and as a musician, I had zero intention of sharing, you know, that personal life. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't think it needed to be said. I just wanted to sing my songs. And then I I started learning a lot more um, about the queer community and the mental health issues they face, the lack of funding, so much going on there. And I felt it was really important to speak up and say, hey, you know what? We got to talk about this. Yeah, because I feel like you're almost doing a disservice to that community by saying, well, I'll just kind of leave that at home. Mm-hmm. It's not mm-hmm. unlike last week. I was talking to Katie Ferrara on the show, and we were talking about how she said that she likes to journal, and so a lot of that comes out into the songs that she'll write. But she said, oh, yeah, there's some stuff that just stays in the journal, and that can't be written about. And so I'm thinking the same thing. Well, wait a minute. Mm-hmm. You know, this is a part of who you are, and when you're talking about people want to get to know you, how could you not? show people this is this is the true me it's not just the musician lucy it's the person lucy because they do want to connect mm-hmm. with you and you know not to turn it into a business strategy but there's a whole community out there that's going to embrace you even more and go okay great because so am i so yeah know, this is wonderful that she's coming out to us and, and letting us know about the yeah. lucy that has nothing to do with the person we see on stage absolutely and it works both ways because i mean there's a fan who hasn't heard your music yet but maybe they look you up because you believe in environmentalism or you are an ally and they look up your music and they listen to you so it's kind of a win-win there but then for me as the artist it's also a deeper connection 
with new fans because it's not just like, oh, I like your song. Oh, thanks. It's like, hey, have you heard about this new nonprofit that started? Do you want to perform for them? And it's it's a much deeper purpose, which I think is so important because after a few years of just putting yourself out there, hey, look at me, I wrote another song. You know, there needs to be something more. You need to have a, a purpose with your music. Yeah, and with the way that the profile of the LGBTQ community has been raised over the last several years, those people might be looking to find artists who are bringing more awareness, and and they're going to go looking and seeing, well, what artists do I want to get behind that are writing songs about this? And it's a discovery opportunity for them to say, oh, here's this Lucy and Lemaire. I don't know who this is, but... And then they start listening to your music. And to me, that's very different from someone who writes songs about fast cars. And like you say, that one song makes a connection with a listener because they go, yeah, I like fast cars, too. It's like, okay, mm-hmm. great. Yay. Like, please, <laughs> down- please download it from Spotify. Whereas now mm-hmm. you're like, no, I'm talking about like a lifestyle. I'm not talking about a hobby. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I will say Katie Farrar is an incredible. She's one of my favorite singer-songwriters in Los Angeles. Like when I discovered her, I was so happy she's phenomenal that's awesome yeah. that's awesome so cool so cool i mentioned back in the intro that you gave a ted talk uh, how mm-hmm. did it, tedx talk specifically how did you get that opportunity what was your talk about they reached out to me uh october 2022 and i thought it was a joke i have to be very honest with you i i read it and i thought eh, it's probably some kind of scam or something i get a lot of emails and and then i was telling a friend about it and they were like no no you should I mean, that makes sense. That makes sense because I do a lot of public speaking. I do a lot of free workshops for the community. And they said, no, that's probably legit. Um, and I think it was more just a, a language barrier with some of the, the wording of the email. Mm-hmm. And so I, I wrote back and they were like, yes, we're, we're hosting this TEDx event. Um, we would absolutely love for you to be a part of it. And it was the theme. They all have themes for these conferences was beyond the boundaries. Mm. And I'm someone who speaks about going beyond the binary of, you know, gay or straight and the way we think, um, you know, good, bad, right, wrong. Our brain is based on binary thinking. We want to be able to identify something as good, bad, you know, a threat, not a threat. Mm-hmm. And that's just very natural. And that's how our brain does things. That's how it organizes, right? Person and you come out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What was really great about it is that I got to call my psychology professor and ask about some of his research and say, hey, how did that Whoa. project we worked on turn out? Oh, cool. You know, and I was able to bring in some of those statistics as well. So follow me on this. Is this a case of, by extension, I was able to promote my music career or is it no Bruce I really do do a lot of speaking on the side that if I'm able to get a good speaking gig I don't care if I'm not able to promote myself Mm -hmm. as a musician help me through that because I feel that there's going to be people out there that are going to go what is she doing a TEDx for TEDx talk for how does that help her get more downloads or or boost up those Spotify numbers Mm -hmm. well think of some of your favorite artists you know um they have a brand, right? They have a whole thing going on. You know where they would eat dinner in a city. You know you know what they stand for, what they don't stand for. And for me, I've always stood up for education. It's really important to me. And equality. And if you look at the TED Talks and what they're doing, how they're educating people, how they're really raising the bar about the things that we talk about and the things we discuss, a lot of them are set up like a college lecture, but these are not necessarily the, the lectures we get, you know, in high school or earlier. And so when I do public speaking, it's often for youth events in the LGBT community, mm. um, also for older as well, especially in the bi community where there isn't as much representation, not as many resources. It's just it's all who I am. And it would be I just wouldn't feel like a, a f- fulfilled person if I only did music all the time. I, I think yeah, I would burn sense. out. That makes sense. I think I, yeah. So I'm very detail-oriented when it comes to things like, I'm dying to know, and I don't want you to actually reveal the address. Okay. But when you looked at that email and you thought, oh, this is a scam, was it like a, you know, fredsmith at tedx.com, <laughs> or was it like some just Gmail, or you're like, this can't, I mean, look, it's coming from a Gmail. How could this really be TEDx? It was because um, it was from a university. 
that oh. I hadn't heard of. Ah. And so the university title, and it was okay. a university in India. Oh, gosh. Um, so it was more, <laughs> yeah, so it wasn't a college I had heard of. Um, it's a huge school, of course. Huh. Um, I just didn't know. And I've been to India as well, and I wow. just didn't hear wow. about it. Um, but really awesome university that's just doing wonderful things for their students and their community. But was it in the Los Angeles area? No, the conference was hosted by a university in India. So you went to India to do this TEDx talk. I was live streamed into India. Ah, yeah, okay. from Los okay. Angeles. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Mm-hmm. I know. That was another part where I was like, "This this seems too complex. I don't know." And then yeah. it was really just a matter of you know things things got locked down. There's less traveling. And it was really nice that I could still be a part of the the event that way. Yeah, for sure. Let's do some more discovery on something else. More and more musicians are finding organic success on TikTok. One of your songs was used by TikTok to get influencers up and dancing. What what were the circumstances there? How did how did that happen? And and for that matter, did you see an uptick in the song's popularity as a result? Oh, sure. So for let's see, for my song "Roller Coaster." Um, in the music video, we have this really wonderful TikTok influencer, Haley Faulkner, who's uh, hilarious, does really amazing comedy sketches and just a really cool person. And I didn't know them. I just watched their TikToks and I reached out and I said, I love what you're doing. Mm-hmm. I think this is really cool. I would love you to star in a music video. Okay. They live in the t- Tennessee area, uh, Nashville, I believe. And I was in L.A. So we filmed a music video separately mm-hmm. on our phones edited it together, uh, like a long-distance relationship video, <laughs> and then release that as the music video and release clips on TikTok. So there was a little dance that went with it so people could do the dance. Uh, and we had I some see. really, really great entries. Some people tap danced. Some people just did the choreography. But it was really it was really cool to see how everybody interprets, you know, one piece of art differently. But in other words, this, I'm holding up air quotes, audience, this went viral. It wasn't that TikTok themselves stepped in and said we want to boost this video for you or we're going to feature it on the for you page or or something like that nope tiktok's really great uh and i think they really just want you to promote your music and promote what you love because they just i mean they are a business they just want people on the app for longer amounts of time right just like any social platform so the more you can share on any app, the better you're you're gonna do. The more you share something. Well, and don't forget, they started off as music dot ly. Yes. So there is. They're still, all about music. Yeah, and I believe isn't there uh, TikTok music that we keep hearing is coming that I believe they've registered and there's a lot of whisperings of, of what is that going to end up being. So mm-hmm. did you see an uptick in in the song's popularity? As a result of what you're describing mm-hmm. that went on on TikTok? Definitely. Mm-hmm. More uh, more Spotify streams, I imagine. Yes, definitely more streams. And then I would just say what you... Because ultimately, it's when you bring in another TikToker to your what your message is. And if it's similar, their audience is also going to love it. So her audience got to meet me. My audience got to meet her. And you're really creating something bigger than each of you alone yeah it's like a there's a a fellow podcaster who he teaches this strategy which has to do with instagram lives and that's how you build Mm. up your following because if you and i did it then now here this entertainment account on instagram all those people are going to get introduced to lucy and your audience is going to get introduced to me and my podcast Mm -hmm. and so those collaborations it's not unlike how instagram now gives us the ability to add a collaborator to a post And so, you know, you build your audience that way, too. Mm -hmm. We talked earlier about Fender, or at least I mentioned them. Uh, Do you have any other endorsements or or collaborations? And for that matter, have you had a chance to talk with any of the exhibitors here at NAMM? There are so many cool exhibitors here this year, (laughs) huh? It's been awesome. I've worked closely with Kala ukuleles. I love Kala ukuleles. They're wonderful. I have... Too many, I would say, <laughs> or at least my roommates would have said. Uh, I've worked with them quite a bit in the past uh, with my music videos, especially. I always love to show their new instruments and other companies. I've worked with Orange Amps mm. as well. I know Fender's not here this year, so I didn't get to say hi to them. But Ernie Ball is here, and they've got some really cool new ukulele strings. There's so much. It's a little overwhelming for me, honestly. <laughs> how much is going on out there and you already performed or you're going i'll be performing today today at the hilton stage okay okay Mm -hmm. and so 
that will be a full band show or what will that look like in terms of who's on stage? So it's an acoustic. It's during the acoustic time. So they have different time uh, zones here for okay. when you can have loud full band and when you can have like a stripped down acoustic. So we're at four o'clock, which is still within the acoustic time. So it'll be me and I'll be playing a baritone ukulele and a tenor ukulele. And then I've got two guitars with me. Uh, one playing acoustic, one playing electric. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay. So what's next for you musically that we all might keep an eye out for? I'll have some songs coming out this summer that I'm very excited about. Hopefully some touring. Hopefully we get back over to Europe very soon. It's in the works. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. That's exciting. We're going to close today with another one of Lucy's original songs, one called I Feel Better Now. Before I let you go and I play that track, Lucy, share with the audience all about this one, if you would, please. This song, I Feel Better Now, was written out of a day when I did choose to stay inside and practice a little self-care instead of going out to shows. And a few articles had been written about me being an emerging artist in Los Angeles. And this was after six years of being in Los Angeles. Mm. And I was so frustrated. And I thought, you know, it's really great that people are saying this, but how long do you have to work as an indie artist until you're, you're just an artist and people just... You're just there. You're not climbing this mountain. And so this song was a way of allowing myself to accept the fact that, you know what, I'm doing the best I can. It's going to be up and down this whole journey, and I just have to enjoy the journey and let myself enjoy it for what it is. I feel like we've made enough of a connection with each other that I can ask you the honest question. Were there tears? Because to, for, the, for the article to come out and say she's an emerging artist and you're like, Thank you. Uh, Thank you. <laughs> Happy tears. I've been at this oh, for six yeah. years. You know, and there were probably tears along the way of, like you said, like, how long do I have to mm -hmm. keep slaving away before someone's going to, and then all of a sudden, now those tears changed to happy, assuming that there were tears of, thank goodness, someone finally recognized that. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Noticed. Mm -hmm. You never know when the next, you know, when you're going to reach that next level and you never know how you're going to feel when you get there. And a lot of times when you do get, when you do reach your goal, you're already looking at your next goal. You're not looking back and being like, hey, good job. Way to go. You know, like you, you started this amazing podcast, you know, and I hope you celebrate like every five episodes. You're like, I just filmed five more episodes. I'm, I'm crushing it. I'm doing great. I've met all these people. Uh, I'm doing awesome things for the community. You know, Thank you. it's so important to look back and just cheer yeah, yourself it's, on. It's important to celebrate, you know, when an article like that comes out, you do have to stop long enough to pat yourself on the back because we are guilty of Oh, that was great that I did that. But next I have to mm -hmm. X, Y, Z, and you go, wait, 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 wait. Stop at the part of that was great that I did that. I mean, that's why I only celebrate every hundred episodes, um, but maybe I should be doing it I think we got to do it sooner. Frequently. Yeah. We yeah. just did one, so well done. <laughs> <laughs> great job. <laughs> well, thank you. It was great to meet you, and uh, congratulations on all your success, and I appreciate you making time to be on Now Here This Entertainment. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. My pleasure. My pleasure. With that, I will wrap up another new episode of Now Here This Entertainment. My sincere thanks to singer, songwriter, multi-instrumentalist, and advocate Lucy LaForge of Lucy and Lemaire. Do visit her official website at listentolucy.com. Again, I will have a link to it on the show page for this episode on my podcast website, nhte.net. Remember that you can dive into her original music by clicking on the Music tab on her website. Do engage with Lucy on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. Check out her YouTube channel as well. Hit the subscribe button on that. Watch and like the videos that she has posted. And somewhere on all that social media of hers, let Lucy know that you heard her and her music on Now Hear This Entertainment. I mentioned earlier about her Patreon, and you just heard her saying that she hopes to be releasing new music this summer. So keep up with her online to watch for announcements about all of that. I do truly hope that you like this show, that you're enjoying what I'm doing every week on the Now Hear This Entertainment podcast. If you've made it all the way to the end, thank you for having stuck with Lucy and I. And I'm going to assume that that means that you do like the podcast. You can take action to let me know that you appreciate the work that I do to keep making this show happen every week, every month, more than nine years <laughs> without missing once by going on my podcast website, nhte.net and then using the yellow Buy Me a Coffee logo that you will see there. This is not a sponsor. It's not affiliated with any brand or chain. It's just a fun way for you to send your support, your thanks to me, including a note that I will see when you utilize that option. You can also just head directly to buymeacoffee.com slash Bruce W. 
That will do it for episode 481. Thanks ever so much for listening. I'll send you out today with another song from Lucy and Lemaire. This is the one she just talked about. It's called I Feel Better Now. I had never been all the way to hell and back again, but thanks to you. I'm a seasoned traveler and I cannot explain the types of pain inside and out. I've had my doubts and they've had me too. Everybody I feel better.